Welcome to Theology of the Buddy, a podcast for Catholics who love the beauty of the Church's sacred tradition. My name is Brooke. If you're looking to grow in the faith in new ways, looking to connect with other faithful Catholics, or you're simply looking for other Catholic voices who are willing to speak the truth without compromise and who like to have fun in the process, you've come to the right place. We're not experts, but we have learned a lot over the 15 plus years we've been friends in the faith, and we want to share that with you. So if you haven't yet, make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you are listening, and don't forget to drop by TheologyOfTheBuddy.com for all of our show notes and past episodes. Okay, guys, so I am joined tonight with a very special guest, Joanna, who is in our VIB group. And I've known Joanna for a little while. Yeah, so we met uh, at the Rosary Group. I think that was the first place that we met back when Mike yeah, was in Kitchener. So, yeah. 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 Yeah, so we've known each other a little while then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that was probably the first time we met. I'd met your husband, who, I mean, he wasn't yet your husband at the point in time, like a little bit earlier, and then kind of around the time just before you guys got married, and then just after you right. started coming there, because you'd moved to Kitchener. Yeah. Um, and then you were pregnant with Evie, and yeah. that was exciting. She's turning eight this year. Think about that. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> obviously you're Catholic now. Um, have you always been Catholic? Like what was your, what was your Catholic upbringing like, or what was your upbringing like in terms of coming into the faith? I have always been Catholic. Um, I, I, I would say like cradle Catholic, but it's kind of funny. I never learned that term probably until I was in university. That was the first time I sort of heard that term being used. I feel like it's a very American term because I used mm. to hear it a lot from like all those lighthouse Catholic media talks but yeah, so I've, I've been raised Catholic. My parents, my mom is also, was also like raised Catholic. She, she comes from Poland, very Catholic country. And then my dad is a convert from Anglicanism. So there was some influence of like knowing about Anglicanism in my upbringing. But I mean, we always went to church every Sunday, said prayers before meals. In a way, there wasn't like a lot of other prayer life together as a family, but all three of me and my siblings still are very faithful Catholics to the state. And I think as a family, we have grown more and more in our faith, especially in the last few years, which has really been a grace to see. And so, yeah, always been Catholic. <laughs> a lot of that pro has to do probably with your dad and your mom both still being practicing Catholics too, right? And how, you know, your faith was integrated into your life versus it just being Maybe something that Definitely, wasn't talked about yeah, or something. Yeah. Like my dad would make a big thing of asking us about our day at family dinner, which we would always sit down and have a meal together. That was very, very important. And so from a pretty young age, I basically, I learned to be pretty critically think, like pretty critical of the sort of things I was taught in school. Not that I necessarily thought they were all false or anything like that, but if something weird came up in school, like we watched a weird movie or my teachers said something funky. My parents would like, we'd talk about that. Usually it would be like, my dad would be like, why is that wrong? <laughs> and so I very quickly, especially once I hit high school, I was really shy in elementary school, but in high school, I became much more outgoing and I became very quickly known as like the crazy Catholic girl, even though I was going to a Catholic high school. <laughs> um, Cause I would, I would speak out against I wouldn't like necessarily speak out against everything that teachers were saying, but I remember like in a science class, we would be watching um, like movies about uh, cloning and the, the mm -hmm. like the idea of that. I mean, there was, they were science fiction films. So they were just presenting the idea of it to then 
create a conversation about the moral implications of it. And I would be like the only one verbalizing like this is wrong this is like killing your twin like you wouldn't kill your twin for your organs or something like that and the teacher would fight back against me and play devil's advocate and that made me feel I think very isolated for most of my upbringing in that like I didn't feel that my fellow peers took the faith seriously at all if they if they even practiced the faith and so it really wasn't until like the very tail end of uni- of high school and then into university that I started to meet fellow peers my same age who actually took the faith seriously. And I was like, wait, I'm not the only one. I'm not the Um, only crazy Catholic girl. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it was, it was such like, even to this day, I still get a wonderful sense of excitement when I meet a fellow Catholic, Mm -hmm. especially a fellow Catholic that's like a young person like me. Um, I mean, eventually I won't be a young person anymore, but you know, like, it's still that that sort of excitement of there's people who actually take this seriously out there, especially. Um, so once I hit university, I was in I went to my local university studying uh, studying science and uh, specifically microbiology. And there was a growing interest of meeting young people that also shared the faith. And so initially in like. I was actually quite apprehensive of going to university to a secular university. I was a little bit afraid of losing my faith, which in retrospect, I don't think that would have happened, <laughs> but there was a lot of God's grace there on the way. My dad introduced me to someone who was, um, Anya Krishjak, you, you know mm-hmm. her obviously, yep. um, who was very involved in youth, uh, in uh, young adult ministry at the universities. And she basically was like, she, came over for dinner one day and basically said, like, it's okay. Like, going to a secular university, you'll survive. You'll be fine. There's great, like, resources, Catholic young adults. You'll you'll do just fine. And that's when I first got introduced to the idea of the Rosary Group, which was still existing at the time, though I didn't end up coming there until probably, like, my second year, just because I remember my first year being, I was really just overwhelmed with first year. But mm-hmm. that's sort of a separate issue. And... That was like my first experience with a whole lot of serious Catholics who were taking their faith like really seriously and trying to learn more about the faith and hearing Anya explain the faith, matters of theology and prayer and all that was just like mind blowing. I've always had a very, I could say, academically focused faith in that I like to learn about the things related to the faith. Like I like to learn about the theological points of such and such a doctrine or something like that. And Along with that, there was perhaps instead a lack of learning about how how to pray in a certain way. But that didn't mean that I didn't entirely not pray. It's just like there was a difference there. And later on, some friends of mine and I wanted to try to start a Catholic group on campus at the University of Waterloo. And we had very little success with that um, for various reasons to the point that like it didn't it didn't initially happen. And then um, I got really busy with school. Suddenly, a Catholic student center got started that was kind of like a con- conglomeration of the student Catholic students from Wilfrid Laurier University and the Catholic students from the University of Waterloo. And that became like a huge part of my faith growth, especially with the uh, campus minister that was hired on shortly into the first year that I became involved there. It was just being surrounded by lots of young people who were taking the faith seriously, who were very like traditionally focused. And I wouldn't call them like 
traditional Catholics because I don't even like using that terminology per se. I'm like, they're all just Catholics, but they're definitely looking to tradition for the ways to grow in, in faith and grow in holiness. We would, we very quickly established a really good community there that involved, you know, regularly praying little part, little parts of the office. I mean, it was the liturgy of the hours, not the old office, but that's, it's still, it's yep. still something there. Yep. There would be weekly, uh, an hour of adoration together with the priest available for confessions. There was a family dinner that we would have once a week where the students would prepare the food and then serve it. And it was kind of like, this is your home away from home. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was all through the guidance and leadership of the campus minister who himself was a convert from uh, Pentecostalism. So he came with a great prayer tradition, you could say, or like prayer experience of a kind of charismatic prayer style that had now been deeply enriched with the truth of the Catholic faith. And so he was just, he was such a vibrant man that that is so, I say was, he's he's just no longer the campus minister there, but he's still obviously alive. <laughs> so your up- upbringing was basic, was Catholic, as you've said before, mm-hmm. um, and you guys were attending the Novus Ordo at the time. Yeah. Right. I I know I had met, I had gone to like one Latin mass once and I had some, like my home parish was very, I would almost say like, it's kind of weird to call it, but like low church, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Novus Ordo as in it, like it wasn't trying to be fancy at all. So I had some limited experience with more beautiful Novus Ordos. I had gone, for example, to the oratory in Toronto once or twice with mm-hmm. my dad. And that was where like I experienced an excess of, the smells and the bells or whatever you would call it. And I have always been very artistic and really have been given a gift to have an eye for beauty. And so those sorts of things would have definitely touched something in my heart, even if as a young girl, I wouldn't have necessarily known what they meant. And actually one interesting thing that I've sort of reflected on later is for my confirmation I picked St. Cecilia as my patron saint and as my namesake for my confirmation. And at the time, it was just because, oh, she's the patron saint of music. And I play the piano and sing in the choir, the secular choir. But that's cool. And I didn't really think very much of it, again, because I kind of didn't feel like I had a solid prayer life at the time. It was just like, it felt right. So I just picked it. But it wasn't until like years later that liturgical music especially became such a huge part of my life. And I think it's definitely partially from her, like, prodding me in a certain direction to give me the opportunities, because anyway, it's just something that I've been reflecting on. It's interesting to see how the saints can lead us in a certain direction without us even realizing it when we first sort of become interested in them. Mm-hmm. Like you guys being in Kitchener-Waterloo area, there was a lot of good stuff happening in the diocese, at least when we were there, in terms of access to... um traditional masses uh to a certain extent like the anglican ordinariate was there for a time um yeah and then later um i don't know how like if it was happening at the same time that i was there but there was also an established latin mass community um in kitchener area as well and i attend as far as i know that latin mass community has actually been established in the kitchener waterloo region since like 1988 Oh, in really? various capacities, yeah. but it's just moved around a lot. Yeah. Um, the Ordinariate was in town for a few years. It mm-hmm. sort of still is. It just doesn't have a regular mass. They're trying to get it started again. Right. Again, I only sort of know about that because of 
um, my dad sort of yeah. a little bit having a connection with them. Right. Um, he's not regularly attached to them like he used to be. But again, I didn't really, neither of those things were on my radar at all until right, I see. very recently. Right. Um, but I would say that what, so there were a few key things in my faith journey that I think in an overarching way led me towards the Latin mass. And it's kind of weird to think of them each individually as having led me there. But the first thing was I had a, a chaplain in my last year of high school and he was just monumental in teaching me to trust God in a way that I'd never seen in action before. He was just new to the school that year and he really brought the faith of the school alive, the faith life of the school to higher heights than I'd ever seen before. He, he increased um, the number of full school masses that the, the school put, had. He revamped the um, peer ministry team he called it God Squad. Um, and we would be very involved in all sorts of activities. Uh, and he would find so many students that just needed the faith in one way or no- another, needed perhaps like a priest for confession or needed to just sit down and chat. And one of the really great things is that he would go into the classrooms, the religion classrooms, just for like a, a class and the, have the students ask him any question they wanted. And he was very willing like, and very open and had great ways of answering questions about the faith. And for me, that was a first, one of my first really big witnesses of teaching the faith and of like practicing the faith and then of having real trust in the Lord because, you know, he would have a plan that he would want to put, put in place and he wasn't quite sure if there was the money. And he basically would say like, if God wants it to happen, the money will come and the money would come. And mm-hmm. I was just like, I was mind blown the first few times I saw that happening. It was really, it was really profound. And then I sort of received a similar kind of witness to the faith from this campus minister in university that I mentioned. You know, there's, there's sort of can be like an initial rush to get into a greater faith life and then it becomes a slow trudge, mm-hmm. <laughs> like ladder, rung, rung by rung, ladder by ladder. And I'd say then the, the next thing, actually was the was hearing about the McCarrick scandals in 2018. I hadn't been old enough to really be aware of the scandals when they first hit in like from the uh, the ones that are like told about in the spotlight film mm-hmm. from the early 2000s. And so this was kind of the first time that I'd heard it in a big way. And I think because of the internet became so much more of a bigger thing over the last 20 years, it became more profound. I was listening to TNT <laughs> for a little <laughs> bit there. And I was just struck with like, what can I personally do about this? Like, it's not like I personally know this person or any of his victims. What can I do? And one thing that the TNT show always said at the end was like, pray the rosary. Our lady says, pray the rosary or just pray, you know, just like do it. And at this point, I I got to admit, I didn't have a daily prayer routine. I didn't really know what prayer was. It's kind of weird. Like, like prayer, it's such a weird thing because, um, I now that I've had like several years of practicing it daily, I'm trying to wonder how I would have taught it to myself years ago. But anyway, so that became the start. And around the same time, there was a thing that happened with the, the student center community. We had, we had a choir that we were starting, which was going to be singing for the masses for the student center community. And it was started by 
um, to students who wished to have there be more chant at this Novus Ordo Mass. English chant, we were using books of uh, by Father Weaver, I can't remember his first name, and then there's a few others um, of English chant. And we were incorporating it with hymns, so we weren't like getting rid of hymns altogether, but we were trying to sing the propers of the Mass with hymns. And this was my first introduction to the propers. I had no idea what they were before that, and it just blew my mind that there was this part of the Mass that I was completely unaware of. Because even at that point, I was starting to become interested in liturgy in general, just like this concept of liturgy. I got involved with that choir partially because my dad was helping direct it because all of us wanted chant, but we didn't know anything about it. And he had been learning it for himself uh, with some local chant group for a really long time and was very quite, really quite good. And we also were using some chant settings of the responsorial psalms that he'd actually himself put together with the new translation of the mass um, set to the gradual melodies from the old mass. And that was my first real experience with chant. Even if it wasn't like proper Gregorian chant, this was probably my first real experience learning to read the notation, even if it was in English instead of Latin. I ended up being the strongest singer willing to actually canter for the um, responsorial psalms. So I ended up singing these responsorial psalms and I just fell in love with that kind of music. And so I was learning about liturgy or liturgical music from this chant choir. I started listening to the Liturgy Guys podcast, which is from out of Mundelein Seminary or the Liturgy liturgical institute out of chicago which is a fabulous podcast though it is very nova sort of centric and that was basically opening my eyes to the idea that like there is so much that should be there in the liturgy that isn't and like basically all my experiences going to a Novus Ordo mass my entire life have been imperfect and that that like really i mean you could say like there's a silly way of calling it like red pilling <laughs> When I started going to Latin Mass was the same time that I started my master's degree studies at the university, which made me very busy and thus um, stepping back quite a bit from my time at the student center after having basically spent a very dedicated amount of time there in the previous few years. And there had been a change in the pastor there in the meantime. Basically, I was also coming from like, you know, I was still kind of involved with my student center community while also suddenly going to Latin Mass all the time. And, you know, I had still been a very faithful um, member of my home parish for all this time, and then suddenly kind of like went cold turkey from my home parish um, because I was going to Latin Mass, and then later started returning to basically going to Novus Ordo Mass with my family or with my mom in the morning, and then coming to Latin Mass in the afternoon, which at the time... I was able to do because the Latin mass was at like three o'clock in the afternoon. And as such, I was still able to kind of be involved with the student center community and get to know people there. And that was very much my social life. And in Lent of 2019, a bunch of us were doing this like faith readings group just for fun, where each week someone picked something to read and made soup for everyone and then we read the thing <laughs> that was when i first read a short story by flannery o'connor and was scarred for life <laughs> um, and that was also the first time i was introduced to um the work of saint francis de sales specifically his introduction to the devout life we were just like given the first maybe introductory chapter to read 
And I was just blown away. I was like, where has this book been my whole life? And so I I bought a copy because I'm like, I have to read this whole book. I remember sitting down to read it in adoration at the very beginning of Lent of 2019. And it like almost immediately says, if you are going to read this book, you should get a spiritual advisor. Mm. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and this was my first time kind of making a deal with God, which is a tentative thing to do, but it works out in the end sometimes. Um, and I basically was like, hey, God, if you want me to read any of this book more, then I'm going to need a spiritual advisor. And the thing that I was saying earlier with me stepping away from the student center and kind of stepping away from my parish life is that, and like being brand new to the landmass community, is that I didn't have a priest in my life Mm -hmm. that I felt comfortable approaching at that time for spiritual direction. And so as, as such, a whole year went by with this in the back of my mind being like, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. If not, I don't know. And I almost didn't even think about it. Like, I kind of forgot about it, but God doesn't forget. And so the following January 2020, I go to the annual retreat of the Student Center community. And the priest there I knew of, but he had never been on my direct radar because he was the priest chaplain of a different university. And that weekend, his opening remarks at the first mass on the Friday night, he quoted St. Francis de Sales. Mm. Um, now it turns out that it's his feast day that weekend and that's why he did but I didn't know that (laughs) and I guess God knew that I didn't know that (laughs) so I basically finished the weekend asking this priest hey can you be my spiritual advisor I don't know what that really means but I think I need one and he already gave me some really good advice right off the bat which is like yes I will be your spiritual advisor we can try it out let's try it out for a few months see how it goes but don't be afraid to tell me that you don't think it's working because it's not me giving you the advice but it's the Holy Spirit giving you advice through me so if I'm not the right vessel for the Holy Spirit then that's okay (laughs) so our first meeting was February 25th 2020. I remember it was the day before Ash Wednesday because I wanted to make sure that we got our first meeting in before Lent started. Mm. And then, like, what, not two weeks later, everything gets shut down in Kitchener-Waterloo. School's, like, out. And I'm just like, what is the world coming to? And, like, that first initial one or two weeks, I think, of COVID, like, everyone genuinely didn't know what was going on. No, we didn't. We were just... We were terrified. I remember like sitting at my desk, staring at my window, being like, what is happening? Yeah. But in a very upsy-turvy kind of providential way, COVID was a huge blessing for my life because that first Lent, without having access to this regularly to the sacraments, I was forced to decide, okay, am I going to continue to grow my faith, my relationship with God or not? How am I going to do that? Prayer. How do I do that? Well, start. Just do something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember that first Lent, someone I followed on Instagram had suggested an idea of, she colloquially called it Litera Divina, which was like, instead of it being just Lexio, not just reading, you also do something creative with it. So read a passage of scripture, pray and meditate with it, and then pick a particular line. It could be one word, it could be a phrase, it could be the whole thing. And write it out prettily or do something artsy with it. And I'm like, that, that, I could do that. <laughs> I am 
very artsy and creative. And so for the previous few years, I'd sort of been off of Instagram for Lent, but that particular Lent, I decided to stay on Instagram because I wanted to post the work that I'd done. And that kind of also ensured that I did. Accountability. Yeah. The accountability that way. And so I remember, you know, it was the first time that I would really seriously sit down somewhere. Well, in this case, like sitting on my bed, reading, like opening the Bible and reading scripture and praying with it. And it's not that anything particularly like amazing happened from any of those prayer experiences, but it was the first time that I really experienced like regularly praying. And of course, this is now after, you know, a year and a half of regularly attending Latin mass and suddenly not having that anymore. And it was just my family and, and I had to come up with alternate ways of being able to pray. Mm-hmm. Uh, we prayed together the readings of the Mass on Sunday. We prayed rosaries together, which sounds like it was a normal thing for a Catholic family to do, but we actually hadn't really ever been doing that together as a family regularly. Um, I think partially because for a long time, my father's conversion had still like put him at, like tentatively like arm's reach with Mary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm sure he's much closer to her now, but that definitely was something that he was a little bit more unfamiliar with at first we found that some marian antiphon for singing praying for for deliverance in time of plague Mm -hmm. Um, i think it was one that kind of found its way around the internet around those early few weeks and we ended up singing that at the end of our nightly rosaries together so it was it was a weird time but it suddenly became a very fruitful time and it was i wouldn't say it's the start of my journey because there's like obviously so much stuff so many moments of grace that led to that moment in the first place but it was a first big step up in terms of having a prayer life in a very solid way and then continuing on eventually masses kind of came back in some capacity and then in october 2020 we were the latin mass community was unfortunately forced to move out of its location to a little village outside of town um which became a greater challenge then because you're regularly driving like for me, it's only half an hour. For other people, it's probably 35 minutes to an hour at least, yeah. if not more. Um, but people still made the made the trek out. Oh, yeah. And for the first few weeks, it was still just low mass because the scola had basically just disintegrated. And the director wasn't interested in coming out. And then after a few weeks, I basically went up to Father after mass and said, like, would you like high mass again? Mm. <laughs> like, a misa cantata? Um, and he said, well, sure. And so I just said, I can do it by myself. I know it's just <laughs> me, but I could do it. So I did. I, you know, I just picked up the Libra Brevior and just sang by myself <laughs> all of everything, like all the propers, all the ordinary. I found a final hymn to sing at the end, everything. I mean, it was all chant at this point. Eventually, my dad joined me. My brother had moved to a different parish at this point. But yeah, so my dad joined me. And... Then there was like all that iffy time of like, will they, won't they close down masses again? There was some time where father was saying mass online and there was allowed to be like less than 10 people. And so like the altar service or whatever could be on the live stream. So father just wanted it to still be a high mass because otherwise it's just like you're watching a silent screen of silence. So we would just since we're all like one little bubble, um, because we were all living together, we could just stand behind the microphone and sing probably not the best quality music, but it was something. Uh, and then eventually masses came back together in some capacity. And But at that point, I had completed my studies and I began working. Um, 
full time as a lab technician, now as a staff scientist at a treatability lab. And so I um, was happy to continue singing, but was not able to run a choir in it at all. And so I, I, there was another woman who had a little group that wished to learn to sing or be able to sing this music in a liturgical setting. And so currently we alternate where she sings some Sundays of the month and my dad and I sing the other Sundays of the month. And that's nice because mm-hmm. it's a lot of work to prepare yeah, for one yeah. for one Sunday. Um, and so this is a way that for us both to get uh, the occasional time off or break from that or the opportunity to go to mass somewhere else. Like I've occasionally driven to to the oratory in Toronto for mass mm-hmm. uh, friends in Toronto or one day perhaps I will come to London. <laughs> I'm waiting. <laughs> the other interesting thing about the community that you're at is um, it started out fairly small or small-ish, sure at least did, back yeah. in the... Yeah. I remember back when it was, like back when Evie was really, really young because we started going uh, off and on between the Latin mass, mostly because that was... Mike really kind of pushing us to go and I wanted to but I had no idea what was happening as as that usually happens when you're first introduced to it and then I found I was more comfortable with the Anglican Ordinariate because honestly that was like that's like the gateway from like Nova Sordo into the Latin Mass. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny because people who actually adhere to the Ordinariate hate that that is the the truth. They're like we don't want to be some like place middleman like, <laughs> middleman or like sir, place for like people who belong to the who are nova sordo catholics who just are tired of like terrible nova sordo masses that's not who we are and I'm yeah like, i don't care if you think that's not who you are that's who you are that's like, who you are now like <laughs> but that's kind of how it happened that's how you're going to be able to grow yeah um, yeah some people are so so against that and i think it's because they really want to att- hold on to the yeah. idea of their anglican patrimony or whatever they call it sure um yeah. and they feel like too many non-anglican vibing nova sort of coming in will mess with that vibe but anyway yeah but that's that's kind of what happened to that's just kind of what happened to us but um like we were more like to the latin mass but the novus the anglican ordi- ordinary it kind of made us more comfortable kind of like Mm-hmm. you know it's like okay i can obviously you can understand what's being said which like looking back i'm like oh, it's such a superficial thing for me now it's like it doesn't matter what if you understand it or not <laughs> it doesn't matter <laughs> it helps but funny, like i have lots of friends who still that is their number one concern is that they don't like that they don't understand it and it's because they've grown up in the nova sort of where mm-hmm. they understood everything and where everything was spoken aloud right and it's interesting because the the average well, I mean, I haven't been to very many different Latin mass communities, but for the ma- for the majority of the ones that I've gone to, the sit, stand, kneel, etc. posturing that the laymen do during the liturgy is almost exactly what you do at a Novus Ordo, because that's what they know. Like, specifically, is the idea of standing for the Our Father, because you're, you were kneeling... And then you just suddenly stand and then you go back to kneeling again. Yeah. And like, yes, that's what you do in the Novus Ordo, at least locally in Southern Ontario. I know there's. It's different sometimes. Variation, yeah. <laughs> regional yeah. vari- um, varieties. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So I kind of get it because that's what you've grown up with. Mm-hmm. And it's a little weird, especially if you really don't know the Latin. And I can get into that when I talk about chanting later, because I think that my 
my style of chanting has grown from a desire to make sure that the words are clear mm-hmm. because it is the words that are important, not the music. I mean, the word music is important, but it's the, the words are the primary importance. Right. And so if you can't actually understand, if you can't understand what the words are, it doesn't matter whether you like know what is being said, but if you can't even like hear the words, the father's chanting at the gospel, then that, I think that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's a side point or that can come to later. <laughs> but looking um, at like, just looking at your community in general, I remember how, how big it was like seven-ish years ago. And now when I see the mm-hmm. pictures from the masses that you're having now, I'm just oh, like, it's, it's packed. It's packed. It has grown a lot. Yes. Like that's um, even so with COVID and everything having <laughs> happened. It's just like, they still grew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't matter. They that's still the grew. Thing. It's like when I started going there, I think there's probably like, even when I started going there in 2018, there was probably about like 50 mm-hmm. people making it on a Sunday, which is like a good amount it just looked pretty empty because we were in St. Mary's Church in Kitchener, which, yeah. if you don't know, is a huge church. It yeah. could fit like at least 600 people. And so it's hard to, it's hard to make that place look full. But we grew to like nearly 150 people before COVID. And I think what really bugged certain people that shall not be named is that immediately after like masses, mass restrictions were lifted and people returned to mass, we were back up to like nearly 150 mm-hmm. those numbers again. Whereas like other Novus Ordo's communities that I know of, like they maybe had 30 people yeah. coming to their masses or like maybe a hundred coming to all the masses of a weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, obviously like the people who choose to come to Latin mass are the ones who are choosing to, because they're more dedicated to the faith. It's not that those who come to Novus Ordo aren't necessarily dedicated to the faith. I really don't like looking down on people who go to the Novus Ordo, but you're going to have a greater contingent of people who are like really serious about their faith coming to yeah. Mass. Yeah. And we've said it too, just based off of like our local experience, but it seems like a- across the board, you're kind of confirming this, at least in this part of Canada, that's the general consensus <laughs> is the Latin mass parishes either grew or stayed the same, but the Novus Ordo parishes dwindled and at a very drastic rate. Like we got parishes that are like, like fam, like church, um, family of parishes that are like grouping together, A, because they, they don't have enough priests. Um, but B, there's just not enough people to basically allow for it to make sense to have all of these masses when there's really not a lot of people coming. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, so the community, when we had to move out to, to Linwood is the little village Mm -hmm, that we're mm -hmm. at. When we first moved out there, we were back down to like maybe 50 on a Mm -hmm. Sunday. Because people um, probably didn't know where you were either. <laughs> that was it. Like, yeah. That, and that always happens whenever a parish changes a mass time or changes a mass location. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to get a whole bunch of people just being confused or forgetting or not knowing where they're going. It's just a reality you have to yeah. deal with. Yeah. Um, but slowly and surely, you know, the the numbers went up again. And we've gotten, I think, probably on average, we get about 100 people. I don't do a head count, even though I'm up in the choir loft. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're kind of busy. <laughs> I am kind of busy. I don't like, I mean, I can do a fair amount. It's a really small church, so I can do a fair amount of like, you know, peeping out and seeing what's happening. But I like not to do that because I'm pretty focused on what I'm trying to do. Yeah. There. But 
it also became that new people were coming. Like it was mm-hmm. a different set of people. So there are people now coming from, is it Exeter? There's yeah, some place that's like kind of like the pinpoint between St. Thomas Latin Mass community and Kitchener Latin Mass community, yeah. which shouldn't even be called Kitchener. It should be called the Waterloo Region Latin Mass community. I think Exeter um, is like, it's, I want to say it's like a little bit north, northwest of London. My geography okay. is absolute garbage so <laughs> <laughs> there's lots of little towns and little villages that i just oh well like, it's near it's near godrich really it's near godrich okay. so i guess it would okay. be like north northwest yeah okay. yeah so that's that sounds about right you either I'm go to one or the other like, yeah yeah and but either way it's like they're driving like an hour and a half to get to Mount yeah on Sunday. so yeah dedication but yeah there, there definitely were new families that were showing up and i think partially it was because they let's be honest it was because of covid restrictions they just wanted to be able to go to mass and this was where they could go to mass and it was good even if they couldn't receive communion on the tongue for the longest time well they didn't make it weird Um, either with like hand sanitizer pumps and like (laughs) walking 10 feet and then receiving in the hand and then walking 10 feet consuming the host there was was the taking off every second cue for a long time yeah and eventually when we were allowed to receive communion again it was like one whole side of the congregation could file through bit by bit. And then once they had all gotten back to their seats, then the second side of the congregation could file through bit by bit. But yeah, so. Made it work. You had to, they did what they had to do. Made it work. And now, and now, you know, now that it's solidly, hopefully behind us, we, I think there's some attempts to make more community there in a, in a practical sense. Mm -hmm. As in, you know, father regularly has a monthly he calls it evenings with father where he'll, well, he'll ask people for a topic, but he'll basically lecture on a particular topic. And it could be a matter of the faith. I think one was about the Masons. One was about the kingship of Christ. Um, I think the next one upcoming is, no, he just had one on the spiritual life. I don't know what the next one is. Um, He is an avid reader too. I don't think I've ever seen a priest order (laughs) more books. (laughs) So you said you wanted to talk about something about chant. Uh, learning chant or was there something well i mean i don't know what i could really offer because i I can't offer anything intellectual when it comes to my chant knowledge because i don't read up on the subject (laughs) that's like other people around me who do that but you know there was a that period of time when i first was learning well when i was first agreed to sing it by myself so that there would be mass uh misa cantatas um, instead of just low mass all the time, I had to pull together all the resources of any musical experience I'd ever had. And I'd had a lot of choir experience at, at that point from various church choir, secular choir, all throughout high school and university to be able, and now my growing knowledge of, of, litur- of liturgy and of liturgical music, to be able to sing this music, well, A, so that I didn't run out of breath because singing solo all the time i mean it's a lot of, it's a lot to get through and so that it sounded good because you don't want your chant music to sound bad and i found that for the most part people don't really like chant i get the sense that like the majority of congregants at a latin mass community just kind of put up with the chant and wait for any polyphony to come along and then they're like ah oh, polyphony and then they're like they don't actually want the chant like they're okay with the chant but it's like uh, it's a thing that I don't ever understand because it's mm. like drags on and on. And it does tend to get draggy sometimes. Like, but I think what's really cool about chant, 
at least from a performance perspective, or not performance, but like, because obviously I'm not performing to the congregation, I'm performing for God, but it's, it's very meditative. Yeah. And in a way, I wish I had more time to dedicate to preparing every single Sunday. I'm glad that I now had several years of singing the same chants every Sunday to, to get a, a greater, a greater sense of this music. But yeah, it's very meditative, which means ultimately what's important are the words and the music is ornamenting the words. So that means that you can't get stuck only singing the notes and like, oh, remembering that there's a consonant that I'm supposed to add on to this next set of notes that I'm singing. Um, and that's, I think, when it gets really dirgy and and people find it so, so dull. But I think it can be really exciting, especially if you use the words to give you the rhythm of the music. And sometimes you can add a little bit of your own rhythm in a sort of more, a more like, I would, I don't want to say modern, but like a more modern uh, style. Um, I find that works effect- especially well for the sequences, for example, because it's often the same kinds of melodies or patterns of notes repeating themselves over and over again. Mm-hmm. But for example, the graduals or the tracts during during the masses, especially like for Holy Saturday, I had I've had lots of experience cantering. I've had lots of experience cantering at Easter vigils in the Novus Ordo. And so I'm very, very familiar with the masses, the responsorial psalms that are in the CBW. And actually for the most part, like they're mostly pretty good. It's 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 kind of actually quite a feat of liturgical music that we that we've had like one solid hymn book in this country for like however long. Something that I've found for my myself um, learning to sing this music is I will try to make sure that I know what the music actually means, what the words actually mean. So I will look in my missile. I'll I'll read what the psalm says and look at the translation because that'll give me a sense of the the overall feeling that i'm looking for for that particular psalm or particular text Uh, because you know some of them will be more mournful some will be more joyful and uh that can that can help getting a sense of that being able to read latin clearly and uh without tripping over all the weird pronunciation that's very important as well I've had, again, a lot of experience with that from seeing the secular choir that I was in in university sang a lot of Latin music just for fun. Um, and so I got a lot of experience from that. Basically, read it like it's Italian. <laughs> That's basically the ecclesiastical rules, though usually chant books will have some sort of like basic pronunciation guide at the front. And then, I mean, just sing. I think the, the it can be challenging to read the nooms because they... You know, they kind of go all over the place and you're like, which one do I sing first if there's two right on top of each other? There are some pretty straightforward uh, guides to that, either in books or online. But I think the the thing, again, for myself that I found is not to sting them all of exactly equal measure, because that's, again, when it gets kind of dirgy and it gets kind of uninteresting. But give it more, I find it it gets more life in it if if you sort of see each each phrase through to the end or even each syllable might be getting a little faster through to the end. Um, the little punkta, which are the diamond shaped ones, I tend to sing quite a bit quicker than 
the regular square nooms, the square notes. Uh, my dad and I have developed a sort of swoopiness that we'll do for the, for the, um, for the Perectus. So that's the one where it's like a black swoopy thing and then right. just a, a dot on top. Yep. Um, so I'll sing it like, da, 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 um, instead of da, 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 cause that's more interesting. And altogether, it has helped to become more of a prayer that way. It has been, it, it makes the, it makes the music feel more alive. And the really cool thing is that you notice then that there is a lot of word painting going on. And so that's a musical concept where the exact arrangement of the notes draws something in sound that is being represented by the words. So there's a great example, I think, from one of the Christmas masses where one of the propers is singing about sheep bleeding in the, in the, in the pasture. And the notes actually make this sound, like this arrangement of sounds that make it sound like bleeding sheep. Mm. Or there's another one that is ex- from, I think it was even just from a few Sundays ago, maybe in Lent, where the psalm is talking about mountains and the notes go really down low to really up high to really down low and it's drawing out a mountain shape or you might even have something like a singing where even sometimes the notes themselves on the page will look like they're drawing out the shape of Mm -hmm. the skyline or something so there's sometimes some of that uh hidden in there which is really cool to to look for i've gotten a chance now to also sing at at Nova Sordo masses that are in Latin. So I'm singing chant at, uh, uh, like Latin chants. So these exact same propers, um, just at a Nova Sordo mass. And that's been really interesting again, because actually in that case, I get to sing in the most beautiful space ever, which is the Basilica in Guelph. Oh, wow. Um, and it has great. just amazing acoustics. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it was built for this kind of music. And so it really lends itself to. Um, benefiting the voice when you get to sing in a space like that. Mm-hmm. But those are just like some little things I've kind of picked up. I'm not obviously like a professional. There's a great podcast called the Square Notes podcast that I get some really great, uh, more like, you could say more academic knowledge from. And that's about just liturgical music in general, including chant and polyphony. But I love singing this kind of music and I'm glad I continue to get a chance to do it almost every Sunday. That's amazing. Well, Joanna, I'm super thankful that you carved some time out to join me on this podcast episode. It's been uh, a breath of fresh air and really nice to chat with um, a fellow Kitchenerite. Female. (laughs) (laughs) That too. I'm surrounded by men all the time on the show. (laughs) Um, And thank you for sharing your insight into chant and kind of it, it's a process right it, it has been a journey for you yeah yeah, yeah. it's a, i mean i feel like in some ways i have been doing this for so long that it's just like a, a, so natural that some yeah. of the insights i might have said today they almost like don't feel like insights to me anymore because they're just like the way that you do it um mm-hmm. but i i realize like not everyone's doing this so yeah yeah right it's, it's really wonderful yeah so until next time stay tratty yay thank you so much for listening to today's podcast what are your thoughts on today's episode we would love to hear from you guys 
Message us on Facebook or DM on Instagram at Theology of the Buddy. Find us on Twitter at Stay Tratty or email us at theologyofthebuddy at gmail.com. You can also send us a voicemail via Facebook Messenger. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts and rating and reviewing us if you're on iTunes. We'd greatly appreciate it as it helps us to get noticed within the larger podcast community. New episodes are released every other Monday. We'll save you a seat at the table. Thanks, guys. Take care.